we are so committed to not wasting time. This has become a new doctrine. It's certainly not in any of the creeds. Wasting time is a wonderful thing to do. (laughs) And it actually allows us to be more present when the moments matter. Listening to Taste and See, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. This is season three, The Voices of Formation. Hey friends, and welcome to Taste and See, podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. I want to Introduce you to the person next to me, Ted Wiesty, who is a good friend, and as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, the director of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, and really just a lovely person, husband, father, amazing co-host. <laughs> Thanks, Gray. And I'm so I'm sitting next to Gray, my friend Gray. You and oh, I just hit you on the shoulder. Sorry, um, I was great. in a car accident this week. Oh, okay. So all right. you're all right. Okay. I'm okay. Um, and, uh, and you know, Gray, um, wonderful pastor and shepherd of Ascension Church Phoenix, uh, wonderful Presbyterian church here had been a, a mission church. Is that what you yeah. call it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. now became particularized, which is a new word I learned about a mission yeah. church in the Presbyterian denomination becoming its own independent church. And so it's now Ascension That's and, right. uh, we are sitting at Ascension right now with, Wynn Collier, who is our guest today, and Wynn, um, we're so glad that you're joining us. I got to know Wynn last fall when he was in town in Phoenix speaking at uh, a surge event, and then he came and, and shared an event we did on an evening uh, last fall, and uh, have been reading some of his works and just enjoyed uh, uh, developing a friendship that I, that I hope will continue. And uh, Wynn is a pastor. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that impresses me most about him. And, and a professor, um, a director of the Peterson Center for Spirituality. Am I saying that right? Uh, Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination. Okay. Um, and That's uh, better. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, cool. That's good. A lot of words, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and an author and... Um, uh, married to, is it, is it Miska? Almost, Miska. Miska, okay. And you have two sons. Wyatt and Seth, yeah. All right. What, what else would you want us to know by way of introduction? Just something that you would say is important that describes who you are. Well, I love the things we're doing today, which is conversation and friendship and good food. So that's, those are things. And uh, you've already said the most important things, which is my family and writing and being a pastor. Um, I could, I could add that I'm a Texan, which means I'm probably a little bit obnoxious. Okay. So I'm the only one on this podcast who hasn't lived in Texas. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I I lived in Fort Worth for about six years as a child and then about for about 15 years, um, as an adult. So, and you were, grew up in Waco. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just down the road. Right. Home of the Bears, national champions. That's right. Sikkim Bears. <laughs> did you go to Baylor? I did not. Okay. No. Well, when, I wish I had. 
Wynn mentioned the food, so this is kind of the idea behind the podcast, which is that we taste and see, that's the name of it, and we also taste good food. It's uh, something that we're committed to. We love like eating together. Ted and I love the opportunity uh, once a month or so to get food together, and then we just put a mic in front and we talk to interesting people or just talk ourselves, and that's the idea behind it. We want to taste and see God's good gifts that he's given us in the form of uh, relationships, Food and drink are not uh, inconsequential to his kingdom. They are beautiful uh, gifts, and also the people that make them are beautiful, and we happen to like where we live and, and like the restaurant scene here and want to support them. And So all of it kind of comes together in a meal, as in Scripture, often everything comes together in a meal too, right? That's what we're all looking forward to, the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, in Revelation. And so a little taste, little taste of that today, a little taste and see. And so... We have food this morning. When do you want to start us off, actually, and tell us what, what you have for food? You're in, uh, in Michigan, so we're separated right now, but what did you get for, for food today? I have uh, the San Francisco sandwich from the City Deli in downtown Holland. And I think there's Great Lakes kettle-cooked sea salt, pepper, and onion potato chips. Wow. Nice. Local potato chips. I like that. That's right. <laughs> That's all, well, so it's lunch there. We're, we're actually eating a brunch here in Phoenix, the time difference. Um, and uh, so Ted, Ted picked up the breakfast for us this morning. Tell us about the place and, and what you got. Yeah, so we, we got coffee and some uh, uh, quinoa bowls, kind of a breakfast bowl from a place called 32 Shea, which is a great little... Uh, local coffee shop has food. It's called 32 Shea, and it's at 32nd Street in Shea. So um, uh, it's easy to remember where it is. Um, and it's just a wonderful little shop. Um, it's the kind of place that you really get to know the people that work there and the people that frequent there. And so um, drove through the drive-thru today and grabbed a couple of those sunrise. I always forget they models. have a drive-thru. They don't seem like a place that would have a drive-thru because it's so vibey on the inside. It's really great. But they, they do actually have that convenient feature too. Yeah. So, and great coffee. Yeah. Do, so did we get the same thing? We did. Quinoa avocado bowls or something like something that. Like something like that. Very, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, very healthy. Very yuppie and healthy. <laughs> actually, <laughs> funny, I, um, I, for, I momentarily forgot this morning, maybe I put forgot in air quotes, uh, my wife had made a breakfast casserole <laughs> and, and, and coffee cake. We have some friends in town. So she had a plate steaming for me when I walked out of the bedroom this morning. So this will be second breakfast for me. So maybe not quite as healthy as it as it uh, seems on the on the <laughs> surface. So you're a hobbit. <laughs> That's right. What yeah. about second breakfast? Uh, All right, we're going to dive into this, and then we will have jump back into the conversation with Wynn. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. Well, we are back from enjoying a meal together with with Wynn. And uh, what do you, you think of the meal? <laughs> now it was, that we've had... 
the sauce helped. The sauce helped a lot. Uh, it was it was dry at first, but when once we put the uh, the little green sauce on it, I thought it, I thought it came together really well. Yeah, we were both trying to go healthy, and it was a lot of spinach, a lot more <laughs> than I had thought, and uh, and that avocado. So I I think we've done our healthy deed for the day. But that's right. Um, anyway, and your sandwich was was tasty when yeah again again oh nice awesome all right well <clears throat> when we this is the first time we've met even though I, I saw you speak at a previous event um and so maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about w the work that you're doing we, we mentioned at the beginning that you're at western um and the the eugene peterson center what was that what was that call out out to to holland michigan and what kind of work are you really interested in, in doing there? Just walk us through a little bit of the basics of where you're, where you're ministering right now. Well, in many ways, it's a, it's a surprise to be here, but it feels like it's pulling together like lots of different things that I've, have been woven into my life. So I've always thought of myself as someone with a dual vocation of pastor and writer, and I feel like I've been invited to come here and just be that, um, which is, I don't know, it's that normal in, a, in an academic institution um, to have that kind of invitation, but I think I, I'm here just as a pastoral presence and bringing my writing gifts and and particularly to help form this new center, which is, I think I already mentioned, it's called the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination. And I always like to say right off the bat, like what we're not doing, we're not trying to build a mausoleum to Eugene. We don't have his bust up anywhere. Um, we're not going to spend the next decade just asking to every question, what would Eugene say? <laughs> I think most people would be familiar who are listening in to Eugene Peterson, but we should probably say that he is an author, a, a great voice in the spiritual formation movement, and uh, many people know him from his translation of the message. Uh, so just if folks are coming in a little cold to this, that's who Eugene Peterson is, a great man, but I hear you saying this is not just an, an homage to who he is. So what, what is it about Eugene Peterson that then kind of sparks the Christian imagination side of, of that? Yeah. Well, as far as his sort of voice in the world, I think that the central defining factor of Eugene was that he was a pastor. Um, he was a pastor who was a writer and a writer who was a pastor. But there's no um, – probably – I don't think this is hyperbole, but I probably no – pastoral voice in the last 50 to 75 years has been more influential to help stir the possibilities of, in the American context, what does it mean to be a faithful pastor? And so I feel very passionate about that, and I wanted to help carry on the tradition that Eugene carried on. So Eugene was, he didn't start anything. In fact, he was echoing back to our most ancient witnesses um, in the scriptures, echoing back to our most faithful uh, tradition within the church history of this is what it means to be a pastor. And in our modern moment, we're squandering this and we're forgetting this. And imagination is language that Eugene used a lot. Uh, he talked about all different kinds of imagination. and. And for Eugene, it means having the, the eyes to see things we would miss if we're only looking at what's staring us right in front of our face, that 
that we can't read the scriptures properly without a redeemed imagination, that we can't be human without a renewed imagination, that it requires, um, you know, in, in the words of Willie Jennings, it requires an imagination to see God's world as, as God envisions it. Uh, when Jesus is speaking in parables, it's imagination. When Jesus asks us to pray as we do every Sunday, um, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that is evoking imagination to see a possibility in a world that God is naming. And so Eugene had a strong conviction that that's why we need poets and novelists and musicians and painters and carpenters and those who helped us to see the wideness of God's world and that, that would actually help us to read scripture more truly and to be a more faithful Christian. And so at the, the Peterson Center, we're simply just wanting to continue those conversations. Um, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be saturated with the life of God? What does it mean to resist the powers of the age, not out of some kind of shrill reaction, but out of a deep fidelity to Christ and his kingdom? And that this is done with joy and playfulness and gentleness and courage and hospitality. And so that's, yeah. that's what we're hoping to do. That's so beautifully said. And I mean, I'm sure you, you get uh, praise for Eugene Peterson all the time. Um, I mean, the contemplative pastor, his book is basically... A yearly read for me. I mean, in whatever season, I feel like it's it's appropriate to read the contemplative pastor. And I feel like one of the things that that he captured so well is the like defending and also kind of pushing against quote unquote just a pastor. Um, you know, if you know what I mean. Like people sometimes say, "Oh, I'm just a pastor," meaning that's all I do. I just shepherd people, and it's almost and he he elevated that in a sense by saying. To be a pastor is to be an amazing thing. Like you don't need to be a pastor first and then have some other kind of platform. It's not a stepping stone. Like it, you can be just a pastor, right? But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that you can't be creative or you can't like write. For me, anyway, he he captured that that tension. Yeah. Well, being a pastor is a deep and profound calling. It's not better than other callings, but it does have its own unique. Uh, chrism. And I think particularly in the world that Eugene was operating in, and we certainly see it still now, there can be a, a sort of degrading of what it means to be a pastor. And and he just uh, wasn't going to have that. <laughs> and so joined the prophets in, in um, speaking a better way. And, and at the same time, it's a very holistic vision. There's not one personality or one uh, a list of minutiae that you're supposed to, you know, accomplish, but it's it's bringing your full self in in harmony with the enlivening spirit of God and and holding on for whatever's to come. Well, when your um, your most recent <clears throat> book is is the book about Eugene and his life, and uh, so many have read that and appreciated it. And um, <clears throat> when you were out here, we talked about that a bit. Um, and I actually want to spend a little bit of time talking about another book that you wrote that I'm, I, I'd hoped to have it finished by today, but I'm about maybe a third of the way through it. It's called Love, Big, Be Well. And um, 
letters to a small town church and uh i'm really loving it i'm really enjoying uh reading these letters and um i, I guess I'm, I'm not familiar with the book so what's the what, what's the angle of the book or maybe he can tell us but yeah. <laughs> we do have the author right here so. well, well yeah i mean so yeah. Yeah, when tell us a little bit about the book and what prompted you to write it. Um, what what your heart was moving into the writing of that book. So it's fiction. It's a novel. It's a, a it's an epistolary novel, which just means it's novel in the form of letters. And it came about because a friend from Denver emailed me. Um, it's probably was a decade ago, and she was on the pastoral search team of her church and she was asking for any thoughts I might have on how they would go about this search for a new pastor and her, her sentences and her email were dripping with exhaustion and weariness at the whole, the whole thing, the whole process, the, the way these things happen, the, um, and I had, you know, been on the other side of it, of, of looking for a parish to go to, and um, and I've been exhausted by the whole thing, and and I just something sort of um, came out of me, and and it was a story. It was a story that I en- en- envisioned. Um, it opens with um, the the search committee of this Presbyterian church, and. Uh, they connect with this pastor, and then over the next seven years, he writes letters to his congregation and narrates some of their shared life together and meets some interesting and cantankerous characters. And, and um, really, it's about this this heart of pastoral love that's um, for particular people in a particular place, mm. and yet a love that's hard won and a, a, a love that's not... Uh, whimsy or soft I mean it's like you know he, he grapples and and he he's honest and um, so I I found a character that I I loved and and just started started writing actually wrote it on a sabbatical so it was a it's a beautiful few months hmm. well the, the title of the book um, I have it right here great <laughs> love big be well and that's how Jonas the pastor signs off on all his letters is love big uh be well um and i i as as i'm reading it having met you last fall and and um and then reading your words and and clearly a fictional work um and and how much of it has been influenced by your own story or your own aspiration of the kind of pastor you'd want to be or are or I mean it's definitely fictional and in, in, in the sense of the characters and the setting and and the particulars I mean that they say that the, there's no fiction writing that isn't in some way biography so and yet uh, even with all its, its fictional nature yes I mean some of my hopes and convictions and um, wranglings made their way into into these pages too, for sure. Um, I mean, Thomas is a 
a fictional character. I didn't mean him to just sort of like be a stand-in for Wynn. But, but yeah, um, there's there's a lot of Wynn on the page for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I think one of the things I've as I've read it, I, I it's a, uh, I love the device of the like you said, epistolary you know um, fiction where the letters are telling the story and moving things forward. And I feel like in that context, you're able to share some really important truths about um, our life in Christ and the nature of the church um, and, and really painting a vision for what um, pastoral leadership shepherding can be. Um, and as I read it, I'm very drawn, um, very drawn to the character. And, uh, and I'm just wondering, you know, in our age that we're in, um, when there are so many forces working against, um, pastors and shepherds, I, I, I would, I would think that most pastors who read this book would just say, yes, I want to pastor that way. And yet they find themselves um, in contexts where the pressures and the temptations are such that it's, it's really difficult. Um, I think you see where I'm going with this question, maybe. What, what would you say to, uh, to pastors? Where, where is the hope? Um, what does that look like that that those in ministry could embrace that way? Well, as much as I hope to write truthfully and not out of um, a kind of simplistic ease or anything like that, it's still true that um, a story in a book is always easier than real life. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't really set out to like set a template or even just use this device to sort of be my mechanism for the seven things I really wanted to say. Um, I mean, it's a novel, but yes, I mean, burning through that novel is my own bewilderment at what we've become as pastors and what, what has the forces that have pushed in on us. And I remember, um, when I was with Eugene once and I was in his kitchen and we were talking about the book and he just said, when, if I could have been that honest with the congregation, I could have stayed there forever. And I remember thinking, yeah, <laughs> me too, <laughs> you know? Um, so you, you think you used the word aspirational before. I mean, certainly there's some of that. And, and even in Thomas, the character, it's not like he did everything right. I mean, he was, he made mistakes. And um, so I, I do think honesty though, though is kind of at the key. I mean, I think um, it's, it can be costly to be honest. It can be costly to choose not to pay to play the game of pastoral professionalism. And even those of us who have the words to say we don't want to play that game inevitably find ourselves playing the game because we're in a system that um, is going to require a lot of us if we don't go along. And our own ego gets wrapped up, and our desire to succeed, to be thought of well, well of for others, and 
there's a certain path that has the wheels are greased you know i mean it's hard it may not always work but at least it feels like it's the path you follow if you want to be respectable as a pastor so i think um finding more and more possibilities to um have our ego deflated and to um surrender to the death of dreams big dreams <laughs> that we want to be faithful more than we want to be successful and um and then also to have a lot of humility and patience with other people who you know no church will ever go the way we all hope it will um there isn't a one out there and i think we do need to be more long-suffering gentle with ourselves and with others and so I think having a, a very, very long time frame. Well, I'm going to have to read this book. <laughs> and I, I just feel a kindred spirit with you, Lynn, as you're, as you're sharing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, one of my favorite books is, is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And uh, there may have been some inspiration there. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, Marilyn is, Robinson's reference to oh, the book. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to pick this up. Uh, I mean, I wept through that book. Uh, I was right at the birth of my first son, too, when I read that. Um, so... As a pastor who then is reading letters from a pastor to his son, that was very moving. And um, but I, you know, I love that you did this, and and it, this obviously is different. It's, it's directed towards the church, uh, letters to the church. But um, you, as a as a person too, you're you're creative. You are uh, writing these types of things, and I'm I'm curious for myself and maybe for others who are listening in. Um, Tapping into that, for instance, I've uh, I've written eight or nine different kind of devotionals for our for our church, and like that's I, I see myself as a as a writer in some ways as I'm pastoring, and really enjoy that and and read a lot and I read diversely, you know, into fiction and all kinds of things and try to bridge some of those worlds. I'd love to hear more about your kind of creative process and like w- what projects you take on, like. Why, how you kind of keep the, uh, the juices flowing in terms of writing and, um, and just kind of some more, like speak to the writers or the, the communicators in the, in, that might be listening in today, your kind of processes or, or just inspirations as you keep your own imagination turning as you're trying to, you know, lead others in the Eugene Peterson spiritual formation side of it, but also the creativity and the, um, the, uh, you know, the imagination side. Yeah. Well, it's a messy whiteboard. Um, and sometimes it's an organized messy whiteboard. Um, so for most of my life, adult life, I've had a, a rhythm of Mondays as my creative day and my writing day. Hmm. And that's a very centering, orienting um, part of my my rhythm. I mean, I will say since finishing the biography and moving to Michigan, that's filled felt the most um, uh, scattered that, that's felt in two decades. So I'm kind of fighting, clawing that back. Mm-hmm. And um, I, at the same time, it's, it's just something that's always at play. There's always ideas roaming about, um, little places where I'm jotting notes. And I, I just, I think that following uh, the breadcrumbs, following the, the in, intuitions and and not 
I love the poem from, from Wendell Berry's, you know, be like the fox, go in the wrong directions. Um, mm. I, I just think we are way too committed to efficiency. And we are overtaxed uh, with responsibilities. And it is true that we kind of have to have to get ruthless in, in saying no to um, to the things that don't allow us the capacity to be true to the calling God's given us. And if creativity and writing is one of those, then it means making mistakes and being inefficient and hmm. doing all kinds of things that might not uh, show up very well on a spreadsheet. But those things are very close to the heart. Hmm. And I don't think I would have been the pastor I've been if I hadn't also been a writer. And I wouldn't be the writer that I am if I hadn't been a pastor. So these two things are not at odds with one another. They cooperate because of the spirit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know, always know how that works. And I'm not pretending that that doesn't mean that I don't make big goof ups sometimes or just, or not know how to juggle things, but it just, is that messy life that has a certain kind of order that only makes sense in, in time. Mm. You know, as you asked that question, Gray, um, and, and talking about writers and the creative process, and then I listened to your answer when I'm struck by the things that you just shared are relational. Um, they would connect to relationships. I mean, having space, being ruthless about saying no, um, and having the space to cultivate, um, whether it's a creative process or relationships with others, with God. Um, it's, it, it feels like in a lot of ways, what we're talking about is a way. It's a way of being more than like, tricks for how to be creative or something, right. you know, I, I, that's what I hear in you is there's, there's a way, there's a particular way, um, uh, of yes, being. And I, think, I think what you're touching on is that being a writer is one form of human artfulness. And there are a million forms of human artfulness that God has woven into, uh, into being. And so whether it's parenting or directing, the spiritual formation institute or writing or creating music or or building a house or um hmm. that some of the particulars will adjust but a lot of it's the same it's hmm. it's listening it's being true it's following mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I'm, I'm struck that even i mean all these different forms of human artfulness like a, a business person mm -hmm. they can approach that as an art. Um, and I, I, you know, I think the, the contrast to me is like being a machine where we can just, and that can be true in, for a business person. It can be true for someone who's in the church, true for someone who's even a writer is they're just kind of a machine plugging along versus this organic listening, noticing artful way of, of life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not only can they, approach it as human artfulness um, we're deprived if they don't mm -hmm. and it's actually dangerous if we don't 
because mm. um, a machine uh, is something that gets used up. Mm. Um, art is something that's generative and mm. adds beauty to the world. Mm. Um, they both, in the end, can can have things that emerge, but one's life giving and one is life taking, and one is. Um, emanating endless possibilities of beauty and the other has to be oiled over and again where it's going to rust out mm. so uh, one is good for the soul one is the other destroys the soul i just want to put an exclamation point on what you're saying it i think it's so easy for us whatever our calling is to feel like we are a um you know we've arrived into a circumstance and then the the circumstantial things around that are have put us into what we have to do you know like in other words i come into a congregation that i'm leading and because certain things are done certain ways that means that i have to like there's this audience and there's this uh this feeling of of being kind of trapped into a way or expectations and um what you're really saying is taking a step back we all have the we all have the responsibility to see our our calling as something that needs to create and needs to to sustain us as well as other people um i mean how do, how does one begin to take a step back from the expectations and the you know the pressures or whatever and and really strike out on their own way towards what that calling is or what that that generative artful kind of life full of imagination would would look like if someone who's listening to this is struggling with that like I don't I feel like I'm a victim to all these different things and my life is not my own and I'm, I am I'm rusting you know I'm I'm degenerating right now what's kind of the first step in that that process do you think well it's probably important to say just name name the obvious in some ways that when we're talking about artfulness we're not we're we're, we're having an older and wiser definition of art it's not a product <laughs> that's created but it's a way of life that's, mm. that's relational, that's dependent, um, dependent on God and the spirit, we would say. That's, um, uh, I think another really important word is it's playful. As we're not in control, we are we're participating, we're joining, we're not, we're not in charge. When I'm with people who have forgotten the possibility of play, that is a red flag if there ever was one. Um, we are quickly becoming a joyless people. And this is, um, it seems to me, uh, an expected side effect of people who've lost what it means to live artfully, to live dependent on the spirit. And we are so committed to not wasting time. This has become a new doctrine. It's certainly not in any of the creeds. Wasting time is a wonderful thing to do. <laughs> And it actually allows us to be more present when the moments matter. I don't know exactly how someone steps back from this. I think each of us have to find our way, but it's going to have something to do with releasing control. Mm -hmm. Whatever we think we have to have, whatever reputation we have to have, whatever we think we have to get done, whatever we think we have to get from someone else to let it go and say actually i don't i don't have have to have any of that mm. what i have to have is god what i have to have is love um 
releases the possibility of being playful because when you're in control and our life is held uh, with this tight grip, um, it is really hard to be playful. We don't have time for that nonsense. Um, but if we can enter a conversation without any demands of where that conversation has to go or what we have to accomplish in that conversation or what we have to gain from the other person or what we have to motivate the other person to do and whether we can be playful and curious about what kind of artful beauty the Holy Spirit might be stirring up in this moment and we may never even know, then the pressure begins to to sort of fade. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Maybe we have time for just one more quick question. And um, before we sign off for today, um, just want to ask, are there, are there any projects you're working on now or any things coming up with, with your work um, at the Eugene Peterson Center or anything else that yeah, what are you excited is about? really stirring you right now? In October, October 17th and 19th, we're having a gathering called Doxology. And we're going to be very simple. We're hoping to have some people together in the room, um, pastors and artists and uh, hopeful but mostly befuddled Christians um, there to to do the, the one thing our heart most needs, which is to point ourselves to the, the God who loves us and and be saturated in the life of the, the Trinity and that that will be playful as we've been talking about. That will be joyful and that will be beautiful and that will be soul stirring. And um, so we're doing that. Um, and we have two doctor of ministry cohorts um, that we're sort of halfway through each of them. Uh, one of them is called Holy Presence, Eugene Peterson and the Pastoral Imagination. So that's geared for pastors. And the other one is called the Sacred Art of Writing. So that's for writers. And um, those have been profound spaces that have been very alive. And if anybody wants more information on those things, they can go to the, um, our website, which is petersoncenter.org. And um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of conversations that are happening and we're having Layfinger, the novelist in April. And, All right. Um, just had an art gallery, uh, lots of conversations with friends like this one. Um, these are the best moments. I've, I've read everything that, that that guy has written. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, so that's he's exciting. When thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you carving out this space, not only to speak to us, but also eat with us and be a human being with us, which we uh, we have enjoyed and really loved. And so thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Lunch was great. Conversation was better. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Wynn. Appreciate it so much. Okay, peace to you.